Tonight we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and actually starting on a, a new series as we, as we look at that text. So tonight we'll just be looking at the first three verses, but I'd like us to read the entire uh, first eight verses, if we could, that we'll be looking at eventually. So here now as I read God's word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, but we also thank you, God, for your spirit that makes your word real and alive and that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. And we pray for the mighty power and anointing of your Holy Spirit tonight as the word is preached that you would help us, Lord, to hear the things that we need to hear. God, that you would change our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to see the truth of the reality of who you are. May I stir our hearts, Lord, to to praise you and, Father, to love others as you love us. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there is nothing more that we need in our lives than the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, we need more love to love our spouse if you're married. You know, that person you said that you're going to love and serve till death do you part. Uh, We need more love of his love as we love our children or our extended family. If you don't have children, we need more of his love to love in the church, especially for those people in the church that are sometimes difficult to love. And we won't mention any names. We need more love to love our neighbors that still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who are lost and lonely, those who are close to the heart of God, but may be very far from our thoughts. Brothers and sisters, everywhere we go in our relationships we have in this life, we need more of the love of Jesus Christ. But there is probably no place more that we need the love of Jesus Christ than in our relationship with our God, who is the lover of our souls. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 tonight, and the first three verses. And as we do so, before we jump into the text, I want to just talk about a few misunderstandings I think oftentimes happens when it comes to 1 Corinthians 13. It's such a, a popular uh, chapter. It's read at weddings all the time and, you know, just all these different contexts. We see 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's probably plastered on your wall somewhere in your house or something like that as well. And that's not bad. But I think we need to understand the context of 1 Corinthians 13 if we're really going to understand what Paul is saying to the church today. I mean, if we look back at chapter 12 and the very last verse, verse 31, it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. And so he then goes on and he shares 
what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. But I want to suggest that we need to have even more context than that. We need to understand that Paul is writing this letter to a church that was sharply divided over theology, over their practice, over social class, over spiritual gifts. I mean, you had some people in the church saying, well, I'm following Paul. And others to say, well, I follow Apollos and his teaching. And somebody else says, well, you know, you people, you follow men. I follow Jesus Christ. And there's were all these divisions. And if you look in chapter 12, you even see where there were those who were very proud of the gifts that they had and felt like, you know, they were sort of the end all of everything. And uh, and so they very much felt like people ought to recognize how awesome they were. Others, on the other hand, felt like they weren't even part of the body of Christ. And yet Paul says, no, it's even those weaker parts that are even the most important parts. And so comes chapter 13 to sort of address the heart condition of the Corinthian church and their their lack of love. Now, like I said, this isn't really a chapter that's written so that we could read at weddings. It's I don't know that it's inherently wrong to read it at a wedding or not. But, you know, the the word that's used here for love is not eros, which is the romantic love that we might think of when it comes to weddings or something like that. But it is agape is the Greek word that is used here, which means a selfless love that we have towards other people. And so the apostle Paul was trying to desperately show a church full of self-centered Christians that there was a better way to live. So the love chapter is not for lovers primarily, but it's really for loveless people. It's for people who struggle to love, who think that their way of worshiping God or talking about God or serving God is better than everyone else's. And all Paul says here is, is that you know, we need to give attention to God and his love. Now, as we, as we talk about this kind of love, it's also not just like a warm, fuzzy feeling kind of love. You know, we call it in our household sort of Disney type of love, sort of ooey gooey. You know, it just what do they say? Follow your heart. You know, it's sort of that sentimental love that, that is there. But as we look at the love that Paul talks about in this chapter and the things that we've already read, it's very humbling. It sort of cuts us down to size and sort of shows us that it is a love that none of us can do perfectly. And if you don't believe me, then let me encourage you to do this exercise, if you would. If you take 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, take the word love, anywhere it says love, and put your name in there. And then read that. Okay, let me give you an example. Rick is patient and kind. Rick does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Rick does not insist on his own way. If you're part of my family, you know that's not true. Uh, He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Rick rejoices with the truth. Rick bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Rick never fails. All you got to do is do that, and you realize that we are people that struggle to love. And part of that is, is that this is not a human love. This is a a divine love. This is a love that only comes from God. And so I think Leon Morris was correct. He was was talking in one of his commentaries about how agape was not a common word that was used uh, before the New Testament, but Christians took it up and and, uh, made it their characteristic word for love. 
because it's sort of is a, a new idea. It is a love for the utterly unworthy, a love which proceeds from a God who is love. It is a love lavished upon others without a thought of whether they are worthy to receive it or not. Now think about that. You know, it doesn't even consider whether the person who has received the love is worthy or not. It proceeds rather from the nature of the lover. It comes from the person who is loving. That's what determines whether that person receives the love or not. It's not upon the beloved, not upon the one who is receiving that love. And so if you think about, you know, our relationships, is that how we function? I mean, I think about people who are dating or courting and, you know, what do we do? We set our affections upon the person we like. Why? Why? Because we find that person lovely. And at whatever point we no longer find that person lovely, what happens? There's a breakup in the relationship, right? And then we carry that over into the church. And we love our brothers and sisters, and we like those who agree with us in our theology and the way that we are to do things. But you know what? All of a sudden, that person no longer is lovely in our eyes and their history, right? And we oftentimes will, will break those relationships because they don't fit our purposes. But that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. Agape love, you know, as, as Paul talks about, you know, it's, a, it's a, a love that is defined by God and is basic to the Christian character. Uh, listen to the words from John 13. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in John 13, 34, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, the love that Jesus demonstrated to them that night was is that he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and he washed their feet, which was like the lowest of the lowest. But it's also that that instruction that Jesus gives is given in the shadow of the cross because Jesus Christ is just about to go to the cross and to die. And so we see that, you know, while we have the Corinthians that are sort of a, a selfish bunch, that Paulus says that the remedy for that is to understand the nature of Christian love. That uh, love is, as John Stott says, love is the servant of the will, not the victim of the emotion. Let me say that again. That love is the servant of the will, not the victim of the emotion. So love is something that we choose to do. It's not something that we're driven to do by our emotions. So that's why Jesus could say in Matthew 5:44, love your enemies because it is something that we choose to do. Now, brothers and sisters, you probably know that it's not only an act of the will to love your enemies, but sometimes it's an act of the will to love your spouse or your children or your neighbor or that pesky neighbor who's upstairs of your apartment that's always making all that noise and irritating you, you know? Um, it is that is what love is. And so it is really in one sense sort of a, a spiritual discipline that we are called to love. Well, the, the problem is, is that love ought to be the distinguishing characteristic of Christians. And yet I think we would admit that oftentimes it is not. And so what Paul wants us to see in these first three verses is the necessity of love. Or maybe a better way I could have put that was to say the priority of love. You know, that 
uh, he's sort of making an argument proving the necessity of love, that love is essential, and that without love, we are nothing. If you look at verse 1, it said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, the Corinthians love the gift of tongues. You know, if you think about it, speaking in, in, a, in another language, you know, God using that, you know, in a way like he did on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples, as the Spirit came upon them, were speaking in tongues, and people gathered from all the different surrounding areas because they heard their language, and Peter stood up and he preached a sermon, and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Who wouldn't want that spiritual gift? I mean, that sort of puts us out front, right? It's sort of uh, uh, very much, uh, you're in the limelight, I guess you could say. And uh, so the Corinthians very much... Uh, desired that love. They also liked the gift of prophecy, you know, where they could proclaim the will of the Lord. And, you know, we think of prophecy only in terms of telling the future, which that can sometimes be an aspect of it, but it's also a sense of proclaiming or, or speaking the word of God as well. And so uh, either one of these gifts, they very much desired because it sort of promoted themselves but what we see in verse 1 is, is that without love, we are nothing than a noisy nuisance. And we are nothing more. You know, that I don't care what our gifts are here. They talk about tongues. But we probably could, you know, insert any other gift. Maybe it's uh, gifts of, of helping or hospitality or teaching or administration. You know, it may be our privilege uh, one day to hold the position of spiritual leadership as an elder or a deacon in the church, or maybe the Lord will call us to be a missionary or evangelist, uh, serving people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, but we see here that it is possible to use our gifts for ministry without having love in our hearts. Because the reality is, is that we are so selfish that it's even possible for us to do something that looks like it's for something else, and yet it's really done for our own benefit. Amen? Amen. We struggle with that. Sometimes we're more concerned about our own reputation or our own agenda, and sometimes even our flesh deceives us, and we think we're doing something for someone else, but it's really for us. Now, Paul here is not really... Uh, denying the use of spiritual gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts are, are things that are good, but if it is done without love, Paul says it's like a what? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, it's just a sense of, of making noise. So no matter how gifted we are in the church, unless we do that in love, we are nothing but a noisemaker in one sense. And no one can hear the gospel from the life of a Christian who is loveless. People just hear bong, 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 clang, clang, clang. That's all they hear from Christians who do not love. I don't care how talented or how gifted that they are. If there is not love, it is nothing. And the same way with prophecy. It may be that you know, we have insight and knowledge. As we study the word of God, we have the ability to grasp the truth of God's word and we can share that word, but that is nothing if it does not have love. It might be that we have great faith 
And maybe you could trust the Lord for amazing and mighty things. And maybe you've even seen the Lord work in your life, in your ministry, as you've trusted him uh, for, for things that other people really doubted could ever happen. Um, but without that, it is nada. It is nothing. Well, the, the Corinthians... Um, The Corinthians were, were definitely people that struggle with that, but we are too as well. You see, when we look at ourselves in the mirror of comparison with other people, we can oftentimes look and see somebody else that, that has gifts that don't quite stack up to what our gifts are. And so then we can feel a sense of feeling better about ourselves. But God reminds us that it is nothing. He even goes on in verse 3 and says, If I give away all that I have, and I, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I, I don't know if you notice, there's a lot of sort of hyperbole here in these verses. You know, if I have all love, or I have all faith, or I give away everything that I have, you know, but yet I have not love, then I have nothing. And so as we look at this tonight, you know, we can sometimes feel like that. We can sometimes feel like, you know, we feel pretty good about ourselves because of our gifts and because of our abilities. You know, it might be even that people in the church come and they praise us and they just say, you would do such a good job. What you're doing, you know, we, our church just, you know, we wouldn't even be on the map if it weren't for you. You know, you just are so talented and so gifted in this area. Or I appreciate your teaching and the way that you handle God's word. Or you know what? Your self-sacrificing gift to other people, it is just something. I mean, it just seems like you are used and used and used and you continue to give and continue to give and continue to give. Oh, you are so awesome. We all can struggle with that. And we can sometimes even measure our spiritual well-being by our giftedness, by our ability to be self-sacrificing, and maybe even our knowledge of God's word. But Paul wants us to see that while all those things are good, and please hear me say that, all those things are good. If they are without love, though, they are nothing. So what we ought to set our hearts upon is not using our gifts in a way that could be noticed or even serving others, but we ought to love one another, both in the church and outside of the church as well. I want us to look over at Mark chapter 10. We read that earlier, and at first glance, you might think, well, this really has nothing to do with love. It's really talking about eternal life, and, and that that is true, but... Um, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through through 27. You know, you have this man that Jesus meets and he's talking to, and, and the man asks Jesus, well, how, how do I get eternal life? And, uh, and, or the way he said it is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 17. And, and with this, he's obviously wanting to know about his eternal state. And, and, um, you know, Jesus is sort of confronting his false thinking that somehow you can earn your way to heaven. You know, this guy doesn't understand. It's not so much what you do as what you believe. And so Jesus says in verse 18, he says, no one is good except God alone. Uh, 
not this man, none of us here in, in this room as well. Uh, but anyway, Jesus goes on to prove this and sort of to lay out God's standard. He says, you know, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. And we know that these are from the Ten Commandments, from, from the law of God. But I, I want you to see this as more than just, uh, uh, just commandments of God. They also d- display the love that God demands of us as well. Now, we can't love this way. You know, we can't keep these commands unless we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, but, you know, each one of these commandments requires us to, to love our neighbors. So, for example, where it says do not murder, he's really telling us to love our neighbors by protecting their lives. Don't go take their lives. Show them love by protecting them. Or when he says do not commit adultery, he's telling us to love people by safeguarding their sexual purity. And then you can go on you know, throughout the commandments and look at that and see. And so really what I want to suggest to you tonight in one sense is he is talking to this young man about where his love lies. And, and does he love the Lord his God? Now, this young man thinks that he does. In verse 20, he says, Teacher, you know, all these things I have kept from my youth. Um, in other words, if this is all it takes to, to gain eternal life, you know, just keep a few of the big commandments, you know, I can do that. Uh, but, um, you know, in one sense, what this guy is saying, and he doesn't even realize it is, that if these laws show the love of God, or shows the love that God demands, then he was claiming that he knew how to love God and that he had enough love in his heart. And Jesus wants to confront him with that and wants him to see where his true love is and to understand that he does not love God as God loves, as God calls us to love. Now, I think for most of us, if I were to ask you, do you love as God calls you to love? You probably would say no, right? Most likely. But I'd still, even having said that, I really wonder, though, if we really understand truly how much we do not love. I think uh, most of the time, most of us believe that we do a pretty good job of loving other people. And the reason I say that, while we maybe don't feel like we love as God calls us to love, we still don't feel like we do it that poorly because we rarely repent of our loveless heart. Do we? Do you do that? Do you ask the Lord to forgive you for the selfish, loveless heart that you have? We fail to make learning to love Jesus one of our highest priorities. And we forget to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to make us better lovers in one sense. Well, that was true of this rich man as well. Jesus showed him that he was not the lover he thought he was. Uh, Jesus says to him, You lack one thing. He said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. What in essence this was was sort of a test that Jesus was giving him to see truly the true condition of his heart. The man claimed that he really had never defrauded anyone, that instead he had loved everyone. And Jesus is in essence saying, really? You've never sinned against anyone? You've never you know, uh, treated somebody wrongly? He said, what about the poor? 
why don't you sell everything that you have and and give to the poor and and then then I'll know that you you have loved as you ought to um, but in doing this the man was broken because he realized that he could not pass this test it says in verse 22 disheartened that um, tells us that he was disheartened by saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions um, I, t- I tell you this story because I'm, I'm convinced that probably we're a lot like this man that we struggle to love uh, in fact if if Jesus gave us the same demand to give everything to the poor most of us probably would come up with a list of reasons of why we couldn't do that you know, you'd probably say things like, well, you know, not everybody's commanded to, to give away all their possessions. You know, this man was told to do so, but I got to provide for my family. Uh, not to mention that, you know, there's missionaries that I support. You know, we would come up with all these different reasons, you know, even, well, you know, I, I want to have money to give to the poor, you know, whatever. And while all these seem very reasonable, the real issue for most of us is that we always place a limit on our love, do we not? Let me say that again. We always place a limit on our love. I was thinking about this this week. I was actually, one of the beauties of living in Andover is you could take a walk and, and just walk around the community. And so it's like a 10 minute walk from our house to the senior center here, maybe even a little bit less. And and I was just out for a walk and, and I was praying for our church and that we could that the Lord would give us inroads to the community and that we could minister in the way that God wants us to minister. And then just as soon as I prayed that, I thought, oh, you know, knowing God, he's going to ask us to love people in a way that's going to be difficult. He's going to bring people into our lives that are messy. And I thought, well, Lord, I don't know that I want that. And then just then I was convicted of the Holy Spirit of the lovelessness of my heart. How quick and easy it is. We want to serve. We want to minister. We want to do these things. But we want to do it in our terms and in our ways. But, you know, I think it's interesting as you look at these opening verses of 1 Corinthians 13, as Paul talks about the spiritual gifts and stuff, he uses the pronoun I. Did you notice that? He said, looking back at 1 Corinthians 13, he said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and I have all faith. You see, the Apostle Paul puts himself right here with the Corinthians. He was a man who spoke in tongues. He was a man who prophesied. He was a man who did all these things. He suffered for his faith. And yet he understood that his love oftentimes was not what God called it to be. But unlike Paul, the rich man in the Gospel of Mark was not ready to confess the, the lovelessness of his own heart. And that, that brings us really to uh, an important point that I want us to see here. I'm sorry for flipping back and forth between 1 Corinthians and Mark, but if you still have your place in Mark, if you look back at Mark uh, verse 20, as the man, you know, as Jesus is calling him um, to this kind of love, it says that Jesus loved him. 
excuse me, verse 21, he said that he loved him. Now, I don't know about you, but this is really a remarkable thing. Here's a man who is a self-righteous, arrogant young man who thinks he's so good, and yet his love for his possessions is so great, it blinds him to everything else. And it says that when he walked away from Jesus, Jesus loved him. Now, I don't know about you, but I think probably the most difficult people to love is the know-it-all, self-righteous, arrogant person, right? And yet, Jesus loved him. In fact, it was just because Jesus loved this man that he challenged him about where his, his love was. He wanted him to see that he truly did not love the Lord God, but that he loved himself as well. But I want you, brothers and sisters, to also see that this detail in Mark also gives us a glimpse to the love that Jesus Christ has for us as well. We are not any more lovable than the man who thought that he knew how to love. But Jesus still looks at us with a heart of love. Amen? And he continues to love us faithfully each and every day. He helps us to see that we are not the lovers that he has called us to be. But he doesn't stop there. You know, by his death on the cross, he offers us forgiveness for the lovelessness of our hearts. When we're out for a walk and we're praying for the Lord to give us ministry opportunities, and it's shown to us that that could cost us more than we want to give, Jesus Christ says, I died for that sinful act of selfishness that you have, Pastor Rick. Then he sends us the Holy Spirit so that he can that we can start to love others as he calls us to love. So we have nothing without love. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians 13. But Jesus does not but Jesus does nothing without love. And that's what we need to see from Mark chapter 10. It was love that brought Jesus down to earth, and it is the love that he shows to us every day. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and do what we did earlier. You know, our Savior is the Savior who loves perfectly. Now, instead of putting our name in in there where it says love in 1 Corinthians 13, let's put Jesus' name. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails. Does it work? It works. Because our Savior is one who loves. So Paul encourages us to read this love chapter in a Christ-centered way by um, seeing that it is our Savior by which we can have hope. In a later letter to the Corinthians, Paul testified to the life-transforming love of Jesus Christ, which turns our affections inside out and compels us uh, to love others that we would not otherwise love. Let me read from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls or compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might uh, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died 
and was raised. The Savior who died and rose again is the one who lives to love and to love through his church. And so we pray that as you come tonight, that you would see even sometimes the lovelessness of your heart, but let that not discourage you, brothers and sisters. Let that encourage you that you just turn to your Savior and you ask for his forgiveness and you ask him to love through you. You ask him to love that person at work that just is on your last nerve. You ask that person to love your boss who is just demanding or that student who sits beside you in school. Maybe it's your brother or sister. I don't know. We won't go there. But anyway, that just irritates you. But ask the Lord Jesus to cause you to love that person as he loves you. And the Lord does that. You know, I don't know what the Lord has ahead for Kirk of the Plains. I'm guessing it's going to be messy. But I'm sort of excited about it. Because that's the kind of Savior we have. That is the kind of Savior that when he walked on this earth, he noticed the people that other people just walked by and didn't even see. He stopped. He invested. He gave sacrificially. And I trust that he's going to continue to do that, not only through Kirk of the Plains, but through his bride worldwide to reach out to the lost. And so I'm excited to see what the Lord has for us. But let us see that that's the call that he has upon our life. And that's what he's equipped us to do. That above all things, above our service, above our sacrifice, above our biblical knowledge, God calls us to love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your your wonderful blessings that you give to us. Lord, we thank you that you have made us new people, new people, Lord Jesus, a different than the world. Uh, God, you have called us to love and to reach out to people who are, who are awful. Um, but Lord, it makes sense because you have loved us in that way as well. And we just pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, this week as we go and as we are living out the very things that we have heard, read, and, and preached here tonight, Lord, as you bring those difficult people into our lives, that you would give us strength, Lord, to show the love of Christ. And we pray that it would be that love that would bear witness to who you are. And we would even pray, Lord, that through those uh, times of, of Christ loving through us, that you would draw people to yourself, that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, not only through Kirk of the Plains, but other churches as well. And Father, we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and, and sing 455, And Can It Be?